On this episode of the ASC Podcast with John Gailey, we discuss the latest news, including recent CMS guidance on the resumption of survey activities. We provide an update on the draft CMS payment rule for ASCs and HOPDs. We discuss LGBTQ plus patient documentation, talk about contract compliance review requirements, and we announce our new ASC Administrator Bootcamp program. This episode of the ASC Podcast with John Gailey is sponsored by Ambulatory Healthcare Strategies, the nation's leading ASC regulatory compliance firm. Are you preparing for a Medicare, state, or accreditation survey, or have recently experienced a difficult survey? Or do you want to make sure you are always survey ready? AHS is your answer. Our dedicated team of experts is ready to assist you. AHS can make you ready for your next survey, complete your plan of correction, and work with you to always be ready for a survey. We also provide retainer-based services to oversee your regulatory compliance, including preparing policies, forms, education programs, overseeing your quality improvement, risk management, infection control, and emergency preparedness programs. For more information, call John Gailey today at 585-594-1167 or visit our website at age-strategies.com. Welcome to episode 112 of the ASC Podcast with John Gailey for August 23rd, 2020, recording from our studios in Spencerport, New York. This is Susan Cronkite, Chief Researcher for the ASC Podcast with John Gailey and Senior Nurse Consultant for Ambulatory Healthcare Strategies. Joining me is John Gailey, Chief Operating Officer and Owner of AHS, recognized as one of the nation's leading experts in the ambulatory surgery industry. So we're back in the studio where a couple... Uh, weeks since the last episode, mm-hmm. and uh, we are uh, joined this episode with our puppy, who uh, we've decided uh, is old enough now that she won't disturb us during that. So she's yep. resting very comfortably in the corner of the studio here. Yep. Hopefully there won't be any wires chewed up or anything. <laughs> that's right. If you suddenly yeah. hear us disappearing, that's why. <laughs> so this is—it's uh, been a while, so we have quite a bit of uh, news, and we decided to do an episode on uh, just kind of uh, you know in our, our focus segment on some of the issues that we've been mm-hmm. seeing yeah, uh, with HS, things. just a couple different things. And of course, August is National ASC Month. Um, there hasn't been a lot of talk about it this year, or a lot of activities going on surrounding that due to obviously the pandemic. But I thought it was worth noting. You know, we've all been working very hard. It's been a really stressful time. So it's nice to uh, sometimes sit back and you know, kind of reflect on on ASCs. And I didn't know this was ASC month. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I should remember that because it's always been August for as long as I can remember. But uh, yeah. everything else going on right now, this hasn't been something that we've been thinking about. Mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So hopefully everybody's out there celebrating. Uh, you know, the best thing to do during this time is to invite, um, you know, your uh, local representatives to come out and uh, visit your site. I think you're going to have to do that virtually now. Yeah. Um, but uh, make sure everybody knows uh, that you're around. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, I, I did a, a session recently for vendors uh, with a company that I, I work with periodically. I do speeches. And one of the things that we were talking about is, you know, how we're in trying to encourage people to come back to ASCs. Uh, after mm-hmm. the pandemic, after the shutdown. And, and uh, one of the things that we talked about, I, my co-speaker with me was uh, from a hospital uh, in uh, New York City or outside of New York City. And they were t- also talking about the advertising that they have to do, the uh, public relations they have to do. Mm-hmm. And, and I think one thing that was also interesting is, uh, you know, patients are very leery right now of, uh, you know, going into healthcare organizations. Mm-hmm. And whereas in the past we, you know, perhaps didn't make a huge deal about all the things that we do to protect them from infection control, one of the comments he made, and I, I agree with him, is that uh, we as uh, healthcare providers need to be making a huge deal about that. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, uh, flagrantly, uh, you know, washing our hands in between patients and let, mm-hmm. making sure everybody sees you doing that, using hand sanitizer. Uh, let them see you're cleaning people cleaning in between cases and procedures and really making a big deal about this. And that, that'll help reassure, uh, you yeah. know, our patients that uh, we're doing the right thing and we're taking care yeah. of their... You and I have talked a lot about this, how it really is very important that people actually see it. And I know when I right. worked in the hospital, there often where it was a sink inside the patient's room and then a sink out in the hallway. And you really had to think about, it. you could clean your hands before you go in, but then you'd realize they really didn't see that, right? which right. is not very reassuring. And I know you've had some recent experiences with in hotel rooms. Yeah. Where on the one hand, the one hotel chain, it was very obvious what they were doing. They had a little tape on the door after it was clean. So, you know, nobody had gone back in there. Um, You would see people actually washing their hands. You know, people were out in the lobby washing things down. Right. And it made a huge difference. I mean, you can't see just looking at most services, whether they're disinfected or not. Right. So really all you have to go by is what you see people doing and people are going to be so, so aware of it right now. Well, and I went so far as to actually complain to one of the hotel chains about this, went right up the, mm-hmm. the chain because I am because I stay so much in hotels. Yeah. I went right up the chain of command and, and I said, I know this is what you've been saying on your website, but I mm-hmm. did not see this. And, and, and again, that point being is make it very visible that mm-hmm. you're taking all of these precautions, help the... Uh, uh, help the patients to to see this, and then they'll spread the word out there too, yeah, uh, in, into the outside world. And um, a whole separate point that you just made really is to to underpromise and over deliver, yeah. Because I know the one chain that you went into, uh, my daughter and I had stayed at about a week before, and it seemed okay. Then you went into it having heard all of the promos they where they had said they're going to be handing out, you know, hand sanitizer, and that people are are constantly washing their hands and they had really made a big point of all the things they were doing and then when you didn't see it yeah it just struck you as even worse than if you hadn't heard any promises at all so yeah th- i mean that's that's exactly right uh, as we said just uh, try to make sure that people really do see you doing all of this mm-hmm. stuff and and make a big deal out of it whereas in the past we probably didn't worry so much about that yeah and this is that's one good thing that we're hoping will come out of this whole pandemic is i think people are looking much more deeply into where they're going for health care. And people have become a little bit nervous about the hospitals. Yeah. And, you know, there's been some good news out there about 
the ASCs and, and infection control. So, you know, let's really build on that and make sure that when somebody does try one out for the first time, that what they see is very positive and reinforces what they're hearing. And one of the things that we have seen, too, is I think people are a lot uh, more reluctant to go to hospitals now. Uh, we have seen among our clients an increase in the number of cases um, or, or the, our orthopedic centers are coming back a lot faster than some of our other centers. And we believe the reason for that is, you know, orthopedic cases that used to be done in the hospital, especially uh, like totals, uh, are now mm-hmm. the patients are really saying, listen, I want to go to an ambulatory surgery center. So we need to capitalize on that. Yeah, it's a whole perfect storm of people being more comfortable in ASCs and they're freeing up more uh, services to be done Absolutely. in ASCs. And I did want to mention AORN is celebrating... National ASC Month with discounts on some resources and some free seminars for members. They've got lots of ASC-specific articles and resources that I've noticed on their site lately and a new um, certification. They're offering prep for the CNAMB, or a Certified Nurse in Ambulatory Surgery. So we really want to encourage people. I, I, we believe in certifications. We did an episode on this, I think, about two episodes ago, yeah. uh, encouraging people. Uh, at that time, I was not aware of this uh, credential, and I apologize to Aaron for that. I, I was not aware of it. We, we have learned uh, a little bit more, and we'll uh, we'll put some information up on the website too, so so people can um, obtain information as to how to how to do this. So CMS uh, issued some guidance on on August 17th, uh, almost a week ago, uh, and the title of it was Enforcement Cases Held During the Prioritization Period and Revised Survey Prioritization. So I'll, I'll give a link to this on our, uh, our show notes. Uh, but basically what uh, CMS said is that they're committed to taking critical steps to ensure America's healthcare facilities continue to be prepared in response to the, the threat of the 2019 coronavirus disease or COVID-19. And with uh, this uh, particular guidance, they're providing information to state survey agencies, better known as SAs, on resolving enforcement cases. And uh, they're providing guidance on resolving enforcement cases that are previ- that were previously uh, directed to be held and providing guidance on civil monetary penalty uh, collection. Uh, it's kind of interesting. It's very rare that we see the, uh, the, the, the monetary penalties being invoked. There are certain states that will do that, many that do not. Uh, so it was interesting to see that specifically noted in, the, um, in this particular guidance. And again, the, the point being is that they're, they're trying to encourage the uh, essays to get back into uh, providing, you know, doing uh, surveys and uh, if they have to, well, another thing they did is they expanded the desk review authority. CMS is temporarily expanding the desk review policy to include review of continuing noncompliance fi- uh, following the removal of immediate jeopardy, the, or IJs, which would otherwise have required an on-site revisit between uh, March 23rd, and, uh, 2020 and, and May 31st. 2020. They're also uh, issuing updated guidance, or they did issue updated guidance for the reprioritization of routine essay clinical laboratory improvement amendments, uh, CLIA uh, survey activity subject to uh, the essay's uh, discretion. Now, this doesn't really impact surgery centers in general because most of us are under waivers, but those of you that do have uh, CLIA laboratories that uh, are not waivered, uh, and we have a couple clients, for example, that do that, uh, this would affect you. So in addition to lifting the restriction on, on uh, processing CLIA enforcement actions and issuing the statement of deficiencies and plan of correction forms. CMS is also uh, revising guidance on the expansion of survey activities to authorize on-site revisits and survey types. So 
in addition to uh, ongoing focused infection control surveys, which we know have begun, states are encouraged to resume normal survey activities. So we knew it was coming. It's a little bit sooner than I thought, given everything else that's going on. And of course, this is very state dependent. So like uh, we live in New York State, we know that survey activity in nursing homes have been to an extreme right now and and really has taken a lot of the resources away from the Department of Health uh, because of a, a lot of problems in the nursing home industry here. So in addition to uh, these infection control surveys, states are encouraged to resume normal survey activities while also addressing the backlog of surveys that were postponed as directed in earlier guidance. Once a state has, in, has entered phase three of the reopening based on the White House guidance on reopening, um, or earlier at the state's discretion, states should resume normal survey activities according to guidance that were issued in the, the uh, fiscal year 2020 mission and priority document provided by CMS to the states while prioritizing their backlog as follows. So this is the prioritization level for the different types of surveys that would uh, would start. The first priority is revisit surveys for past noncompliance that do not otherwise qualify for a desk review. So if you've had issues in the past with regard to noncompliance specifically, and what we're referring to here is a lot of uh, issues with regard to infection control that required an immediate jeopardy usually, or you ended up with a um, condition level uh, citations. Those are going to be prioritized revisit surveys. Complaint surveys uh, triaged as non-IJ level or higher that have not been completed. So if you had a complaint survey that had not been, or if you had a complaint that had not ended up in a uh, in a survey, that will now start. Initial surveys of new providers, thank goodness, because we have a couple mm-hmm. that are, uh, are waiting uh, approval. Past due recertification surveys with statutorily required survey interval and past due recertification surveys without a statutorily required survey interval. So that, and, and again, we have uh, a couple uh, recertification surveys that are past due right now. So uh, that is the, uh, that's part of the, uh, the prioritization. So I guess the, the news is CMS has uh, directed the states to uh, start back to doing uh, survey activity, but it is going to be in that prioritization or uh, list. And then, Sue, uh, we know that in early August, uh, CMS issued the HOPD and ASC regulatory update. We talked a little bit about this, I think it was in the last episode, but just to kind of give you some more information about it, uh, there was a 3.0% inflation update, less the productivity adjustment that's required um, by CMS of 0.4%, bringing the rate down to 2.6%. Now, note that this is the same rate for the ASCs and the HOPDs. That's something that happened last year when they finally equalized the the method by which they uh, they update for inflation. And you have to remember, this is very important, that this is an average and that rates will vary considerably. Rate changes are based upon this black box formula that I've talked about in uh, many years, over the years, uh, that uses data provided by the hospital cost reports, the annual Medicare cost reports. And uh, they use that in order to uh, revise the various rates for the different specialties. Depending upon what specialty you're in or what specialty uh, specialties you have in your organization, uh, those rates will go up by, um, you know, some CPTs will go up more than the 2.6% and some will go down uh, less than the 2.6% depending upon your specialties. We'll provide uh, links to the, rate, uh, to the rates in the show notes and it, and it was in the previous episode also. 
I did find it interesting. Uh, I always find this interesting. Look at the conversion factor, which is the the formula they use. Sue's already fallen asleep over there. You know, she's petting the dog, actually, <laughs> as we're talking about this, because uh, well, I'm sure some of the nurses have probably faded out already. Well, but nurses are not. <laughs> I know. Some people like finances. <laughs> numbers, so, so the conversion factor is a, is a, is part of the formula that's used to determine the rates that uh, the uh, that Medicare pays for. And the conversion factor for ASCs in 2021 in the proposed rates is uh, 48.984. And for hospital outpatient departments, the conversion rate is 83.697. So that means that ASCs are paid or are projected to be paid in uh, the 2021 rates at 58.5% of what HOPDs are paid. I always find that very interesting. I mean, first of all, this is right in the regulation, so mm-hmm. you, it doesn't take much to look at this. And I, I like to use this as a marketing tool. That means that, uh, you know, obviously we get paid considerably less for the same types of procedures. Now, albeit in the hospital, of course, there's a lot more services that are available than in the surgery center. But we're talking about the same types of procedures that are being performed in an outpatient department. And then also remember the patient's Medicare co-pays are the same 58.5% of the HOPDs rate. So use this in your marketing to uh, to kind of emphasize how much uh, patients can save as well as the government can save uh, by using an ambulatory surgery center. As you said, Sue, you know, this pandemic has been an opportunity for us to kind of really, you know, get uh, get ASCs out in the forefront mm-hmm. here. And it's not just, you know, the quality of care that we're providing and the, the safe environment that we provide because of all the, the things that we're doing to uh, protect our patients, but it's also because it's a cheaper mechanism or mm-hmm. a cheaper uh, location um, uh, for uh, for patients to receive the care. Uh, CMS is also proposing to add 11 codes to the ASC CPL list in 2021. And these codes are, we're going to, why don't we just go back and forth on this? Uh, and I'll give you the ones that are difficult to pronounce. Um, implantation. So the first one is two codes for imp- implantation or replacement of carotid uh, sinus baroreflex activation device. I have no idea what this is. Uh, but it's uh, the CPTs are uh, 0266T and 0268T. And I should note, by the way, that uh, the CPT four codes are a trademark of the American Medical Association. All rights are reserved by them. Transcervical uterine fibroid ablation with ultrasound guidance radio frequency is 0404T. Open treatment of complicated, for example, comminuted or involving cranial nerve uh, foramina. Boy, I'm sorry if I'm... I'm um, uh, these are clearly cases that I'm not familiar with. Uh, fractures of the malar area, including zygomatic... Arch and Malar tripod. We're, we're going to get all kinds of comments for mispronouncing this, <laughs> but the CPT for it is twenty one three sixty five. And again, I'm going to I'm going to put. Uh, well, there's references on the on a website to uh, to the uh, the regulations here. Okay. Oh, like you get the easy, easy one. one. <laughs> total hip code two seven one three zero, which is a total hip arthros- arthroplasty, which is very exciting because that yeah, first of all, can you ever imagine uh, having total hips being done mm-hmm. in an outpatient center? I remember my mother having it like uh, 15 years ago and she was in the hospital for five days and it was amazing that she was only in the hospital for five mm-hmm. days i remember them thinking oh my goodness she uh, <laughs> uh she really wants to get out of here knee implant with a 227412 two colpapexy codes uh 57282 and 57283 and there's a new laparoscopy code 57425 two lithotripsy codes c9764 and C9766. 
So CMS is also proposing to add approximately 270 potential surgery or surgery-like codes to the uh, the approved uh, list uh, that are not on the the, uh, the current year 2020 IPO list, uh, inpatient-only list. So the, the goal here uh, with the newest rate update is that CMS is hoping to remove the inpatient-only list, uh, which is a list of procedures uh, in hospitals that can only be done on an inpatient basis. And in the past, what had happened when procedures were removed, removed from the inpatient-only list, they were then allowed to be done in the HOPD, which then shortly meant that they would be including the ASC list. They're trying to, to uncomplicate this whole process here and allow a significant increase in the number of cases that are allowed in an ASC setting for Medicare uh, patients. And CMS is proposing to transition codes off that uh, IPO list over a three-year period uh, with the, cl- the list completely eliminated by 2024. For fiscal year 2021, CMS is proposing to start with 300 musculoskeletal services for removal from the, the list during 2021. So that would be the beginning of those lists of those procedures being moved over to the ASC list. So very exciting uh, development. And lastly, no new measures proposed for ASC quality reporting program. So CMS is not proposing to remove any existing measures or to adopt any new measures for the calendar year 2023 payment determination. So uh, if you are interested in making any comments, uh, the comments are due by October 5th, 2020 through the www.regulations.gov website. And I have uh, I will post um, information on uh, so that you can download information on the uh, ASCHOPD rates in the show notes. And uh, Sue, HHC uh, issued a memo to all their providers uh, recently. And if you want to talk a little bit about what was included in that memo. HHC takes the health and well-being of our clients and surveyors very seriously and has implemented a number of protocols to ensure the safety of everyone involved throughout the survey process. Uh, surveyors have been designated as providing services to essential businesses as defined by the 2020 Guidance on the Essential Critical Infrastructure Workforce issued by the Department of Homeland Security. And they actually uh, issued me a letter that I carry with me when I'm surveying that right. allows me to, you know, to go into a state such as New York, uh, which has a, uh, a mandated uh, 14-day quarantine for people coming from out of state. So, uh, so note that for any of your surveyors that are coming from out of state, they do have that letter available to you. Each surveyor conducts a personal risk screen. The personal screen determines the surveyor's ability to safely perform a survey in advance of acceptance. Prior to each day of the the survey, the surveyor conducts a self-screen and follows the screening requirements of the health facility being surveyed. Surveyors also practice social distancing, meticulous hand hygiene, and cough etiquette during the survey. So are you required to take your temperature before you come yeah, in? Or? Yeah. Okay. I, in other words, do the same things that we do. But, but again, the mm-hmm. whole goal is to make sure that before we actually go in there, you know, we're, mm-hmm. we're not finding out when we arrive at the site okay, that we might have a problem. Okay, because obviously they check you when you come in. That's you're right. You're supposed to do that before you right. go. Which is, by the way, is a good practice for everybody. I mean, I, mm-hmm. I think if uh, uh, we've had a couple of situations recently where employees, I mean, I can't believe this is still happening, but employees have showed up with a, uh, you know, clearly having a fever and having to be sent home, and then of course causing problems because yeah. you know concern that they they might. Now, none of those situations ended up being a patient, somebody that or an employee that had uh, COVID nineteen, but you certainly uh, want to avoid that possibility by by self monitoring at yeah. home. Or anything else. As we move into the flu season, we don't want yeah. people, they're concerned about having the dual 
issues going on. So right. just, and, if you're sick, stay home. Well, and, and that brings up another interesting point. In the past, uh, we, we were joking about this the other day just between the two of us is, you know, uh, employees that showed up uh, when they were uh, not feeling well used to be praised mm-hmm. because uh, of their Great dedication. That's right. and, and not the rest of the organization. That's right. And not, not letting down the rest of the employees. Yeah. And now they're going to be ostracized if they show yeah. up for work sick because of the, the danger that they pose mm-hmm. to the other employees. Yeah. So um, going on, HHC closely monitors COVID-19 activities in areas of upcoming surveys and requests that client organizations with upcoming surveys either scheduled non-deemed, either scheduled non-Medicare deemed status surveys or submitted application for Medicare deemed status accreditation or reaccreditation. Contact HHC if there's any COVID-19 related activity in their facility. And are they actually reaching out to Yeah, and they places? do reach out, I believe, prior to the survey just to make sure no changes have occurred. So it's important to note here that they're not asking you to communicate any COVID-related activity mm-hmm. um, that you have in your organization, only yeah. if you have that activity and you have a pending survey coming yeah. up. Yeah, it's not a reporting requirement. It's Correct. just... Um, as a safety thing. And the HHC survey practice has been altered to maximize social distancing and safety, including scheduling surveyors within driving distance when possible, utilizing appropriate PPE for the entirety of the survey, limiting the numbers of individuals in group sessions and activities, simulating an activity where possible if surveyors are unable to enter a high-risk space, maximizing the use of technology such as screen sharing or projecting documents, medical records, or policies in a larger room, conducting interviews with patients or staff by phone, using phone calls or video conference calls to expand the number of attendees able to safely participate in the summation conference. So we actually did this. We had a, um, a survey about two weeks ago, and the medical director was not on site, so we uh, plugged him in using Zoom. We all are familiar with Zoom now. Mm-hmm. Uh, Zoom is becoming like Kleenex, you know, that yeah. <laughs> uh, generic term. Uh, but uh, it worked very well. Um, and, you know, we were able to see him. The surveyors were able to see him during the, the exit conference. He was able to ask questions. He, I don't think he fell asleep, though. He, he didn't seem to be terribly excited in this particular case. But, uh, um, but it, it, I mean, fortunately, it was a, it was a great survey and uh, there weren't a lot of uh, issues identified or almost no issues identified. So uh, uh, he had every reason to, uh, to, to do that. And mm-hmm. until we got to the end when he was uh, – uh, everybody was being praised and, and he was praised for the work he did. So he, he, yes. he paid a lot more attention. A there. boring but, survey can be a good <laughs> That's right. Survey. I like boring surveys. <laughs> Give them to me any day. <laughs> So, so any surveyors who have had exposure to COVID-19 within 14 days of a scheduled survey are removed from the survey team and are directed to follow the direction of the CDC and state and local health authorities prior to returning to work. Furthermore, surveyors experiencing cold or flu-like symptoms are prohibited from conducting HHC surveys. And HHC uh, has developed a number of resources to help uh, their clients uh, navigate challenges during the pandemic, and that's all available on the HHC website. So we, we have been monitoring uh, the other survey organizations. Triple H C has provided probably the best and most specific information. Mm-hmm. Joint Commission also has uh, has specific, uh, and I'm going to provide a link in the, the show notes here to uh, to their COVID-19 section. Because uh, Joint Commission, of course, is uh, much broader. I mean, it has hospitals and, and other organizations well beyond what Triple uh, H C does. It's a little bit harder to get to the, the outpatient uh, section on the website, but there is a, a nice 
link for uh, that's specific to uh, ambulatory care. Mm -hmm. And a webinar. And a uh, webinar and uh, risk uh, mm -hmm. assessments and other resources. So uh, we don't have the, the same level of detail that we do for Triple HC, mm -hmm. but uh, it is available there on the Joint Commission website. Yeah. And uh, I really encourage everybody that to communicate or, or at least read the communication from your accrediting organization, even if you're not due for a survey uh, soon. Uh, there's just a lot going on. And surveyors are going to be doing, as we noted, uh, going to be doing things very differently. So you want to be prepared for that. Uh, and also, they're probably going to be using, AAAC definitely is using a different checklist uh, than they've used in the past. So you want to, you want to definitely uh, see, and that checklist is available to you to, to see prior to the survey. So I, I did want to announce that the ASC Finance Accounting and Reimbursement Fall Seminar, you might remember we did a spring seminar, is is coming up. It's been announced, and uh, the dates are December 3rd and 4th. This is a follow-up to the spring uh, seminar, uh, which was a huge success, and a recording for that seminar is available at the ASCpodcast.com website. So if you missed the uh, spring conference, uh, definitely go see a recording of it uh, at uh, ASCpodcast.com. So the ASC Finance Accounting and Reimbursement Fall Seminar is a joint production of the ASC Podcast with John Gailey and Christina Benton of Coding Compliance Management. And the fall conference will include, so this is what's really exciting is uh, we're going to have uh, a lot of information on the final 2021 HOPDA is CCMS regulatory uh, compliance update. And Christina always does a great job of, of summarizing all that information, showing us the reimbursement impact. Uh, I'll, I'll give a regulatory impact uh, update, though. Fortunately, I won't have as much to talk about as uh, as uh, as Christina will uh, this year. Uh, so definitely uh, sign up for where uh, the sign up is not available yet. So just keep uh, you know checking on the ASCPodcast.com website. So what we're going to be doing during the the fall conference or fall seminar is more finance and accounting and reimbursement topics. We're going to extend our discussion from the spring conference, including more advanced topics, discussion of revenue cycle and reimbursement, advanced financial management, advanced budgeting and financial projections. We're going to talk about strategic planning, which we really just touched on a little bit uh, during the spring conference, uh, specifically in the ASC setting. So as I said, sign up will be available soon. And for more information, check in regularly at the ASCPodcast.com website. And Sue, we are very excited to announce the Administrators Bootcamp. This has been a dream of mine for, I mean, you, ever since you and I, you've known me, uh, yeah. this has been something that I've, I've wanted to do. And we decided to pull the trigger. Uh, we've announced it. So to prepare for the challenge of ASC administration, uh, we want people to participate in the ASC Administrators Bootcamp. It's a comprehensive program to prepare ASC administrators for the challenge of leading and managing an ambulatory surgery center. And the boot camp includes reading material, virtual private consultations, and an intensive four-day virtual conference, which will be presented January 26th to the 29th of 2021. And uh, so this program is going to be designed for uh, new administrators, which we're going to have a lot of new administrators out there as a result of, well, I mean, it's been happening anyway as people have been retiring. We've known within our own company I, that I, mean, I think we've had a bunch of retirements and a bunch of people that have moved on to other uh, careers uh, as a result of uh, this uh, pandemic. Uh, so this is a great way for new administrators to learn everything that they need to know to be a good administrator or nurse manager also. This is such a valuable Skill to have it, you, right. you would be in demand, definitely. Absolutely. So, and we also, it's also geared toward administrators that wish to enhance their skills and for administrators that wish to prepare for certification as an administrator. Uh, the ASC Administrators Bootcamp is the industry's most comprehensive preparation for the role of the ASC Administrator. 
It's going to be presented by you, John, and I will be your co-host. This highly interactive program will be presented to a limited cohort of students, and it's going to be done through private virtual meetings and a four-day interactive video conferencing, which will allow you to see the speakers and the other attendees, if they wish, and to interact as much as you would in a live conference. So, so I think be- one of the things that's so exciting about this mm-hmm. is, uh, you know, with the uh, availability of Zoom, um, we're going to do two, uh, maybe more, but at, at least two two-hour uh, virtual conferences with each of the attendees, which is why we have to keep the cohort kind of small here. Okay. Um, so one will be before the conference, but, and it could be as soon as when you sign up, and, and sign up is available now. Just to kind of prepare you for it, what I want to find out before we actually have the conference is what are the needs of each of the um, uh, of the people in the, um, in the cohort here? So when you say a two-hour conference, you, you mean a two-hour discussion ahead of time with correct. each specific person? Individually, correct. Oh, that's great. Yeah, yeah. So, I, and then uh, at I the end... See, I'm learning about it as we uh, go. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> but that, that is good, because that's what you miss so much in the, yeah. you know, without being live. Well, and, and, you know, we've always done mentoring of all of our, of our administrators in our, mm-hmm. um, in, the, in amateur healthcare strategies. So this is a way for that same type of a service to be offered to, uh, to people virtually anywhere in the country. And, uh, and then we're going to do another two hour, uh, session after the conference just okay. to kind of answer any questions that they might not have wanted to ask, uh, or, you know, to kind of, uh, you know, just kind of get them prepared for their career there. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, maybe they have some questions about, uh, you know, what their next steps are. Um, yeah, and everybody's uh, going to have that slightly different, um, take on it and, and where they'd like to take their career. Right. And everybody has different experiences as mm-hmm. administrators too. You know, we'll, we'll give like the standard, you know, responsibilities of administrator, but, but definitely this is an opportunity to have a one-on-one conversation with me. And in addition to the uh, uh, slides and other resources from the conference itself, attendees will be provided with uh, copies of uh, three of my books, including the survey guide, the survey checklist, and uh, my book on ambulatory surgery center governance. And uh, as we mentioned, two virtual personalized two-hour sessions and one-year membership in ASC Central, which is the membership website for the ASC podcast with John Gailey. And and you'll get that uh, upon signing up for the program. Attendance is going to be strictly limited and is expected to sell out. Uh, so sign up today uh, at ASCPodcast.com. The total cost for the boot camp, it's expensive. It's uh, $1,899.99. Uh, and it is really the same training that new administrators of ambulatory healthcare strategies uh, will be receiving. And recordings will be ama- made available for attendees for three months after the conference. And we're considering how to make these conference materials, this conference available year-round. But, of course, you would miss out on that interactive nature of the conference. Mm-hmm. And I expect this to be an annual, maybe even more frequently um, thing, depending upon it, how popular it is. Uh, as I said, this has been a long time in the making. We've done uh, focus uh, groups to try to figure out uh, you know, how to structure this. And uh, this is a result of all that hard work. So, And then we also want to remind people to become a patron member of the podcast. It's a, the, We have a major addition and a major announcement here is that patron members now have access to some of the virtual conferences in 2020, including It's a New World conference, which was a two-day conference, which we presented in, I think that was in April, uh, uh, infection control in service to meet the challenges of COVID-19. So these are, uh, this was a conference that you can present to your employees. Uh, the 2020 ASC mandatory education program, again, 
something that you present to your employees for 2020. And the ASC Roadmap to Recovery, which was a, uh, a conference really more for uh, management. And it's kind of that's starting to get a little dated. But there's a lot of good information on these things. And again, it's free for all uh, patron members. So the patron member program, which is also known as ASC Central, is an exclusive membership website that provides a one-stop ASC regulatory and accreditation compliance operations and financial management resource for the busy administrators and nurse managers out there. Uh, so we call the uh, the patron program ASC Central, and it includes um, links to critical CMS resources, credentialing resources, FDA administration resources, OSHA resources, links to special uh, episode content, and much more. It also has a document library with a growing uh, list of resources, including rules and regulations, guides to maintaining compliance, example policies, which is really one of the most popular parts of that mm-hmm. website, infection control resources, HIPAA resources, example risk assessments, another very popular section, uh, and an example committee and uh, governing body minutes, which uh, we we really kind of lead the industry in providing examples of uh, of minutes there. there. And also, uh, 60 disaster drill scenario kits, including, um, you know, the forms and checklists that you, uh, you frequently use. So you also get discounts on books written by myself, and you get a discount on a personalized mock survey uh, if you uh, wish to do that. So for more information about this, go to our website at ASCPodcast.com. Membership helps to defray the cost of producing the podcast, including research, staff, travel to uh, conferences, equipment costs, and production costs. For more information, again, visit ASCPodcast.com. So let's take a short break, and we'll come back with our focus segment on various issues that we've been running into at uh, Amateur Healthcare Strategies. Is your ASC meeting all the infection control requirements in the new normal? Let the team of experts at Ambulatory Healthcare Strategies and the ASC Podcast with John Gailey help you be prepared for the new normal with a range of resources. Be prepared for the infection control challenges of your ASC. Our resources include our free podcast. We'll be adding content to help keep you apprised of the changes and the requirements for infection control. And of course, the podcast is always free. And the ASC podcast now has the industry's leading education program for infection control coordinators, which we refer to as the ASC Infection Control Coordinator Training 2020. And we'll be updating this every year, but uh, this training is available at the ASCPodcast.com website. This is a recording of the training program to prepare nurses uh, for the role as an infection control prevention coordinator or to improve the skills of uh, coordinators that already have that position in the ASC setting. And it was recorded on April 7, 2020. This is a full-day course focused both on the basic skills necessary to become an infection control coordinator and to build on skills that current coordinators already have. Particular emphasis is placed on the infection control challenges of our current environment and preparing for more rigorous surveys in the near future. After completing the program, attendees will receive a certificate demonstrating that they received the training. The cost of the training is $199.99, and you can get more information about it at the ASCPodcast.com website. Ambulatory Healthcare Strategy now offers uh, ongoing retainer-based infection control oversight, which includes an annual infection control mock survey, or more frequently if you wish, uh, review and revisions to your infection control program annually and, uh, and as needed, annual competencies for your staff on infection control, and that's done during the mock survey, annual training on infection control also done during this survey, and that's designed for your staff, assistance in investigations of any infections that you might have, 
assistance in preparing your annual infection control risk assessment, and of course, access to all of the AHS infection control resources that our clients have come to rely on. And for more information on our retainers, visit the Ambulatory Healthcare Strategies website at ah-strategies.com or call John Gailey at 585-594-1167. So we're back here, and the puppy is uh, resting comfortably between the two of us mm-hmm. here. I think she's waiting for her uh, food. But, uh, or we've so just bored her because bored she looks her. like she's falling asleep. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we had a recent question about LGBTQ+. Plus, uh, and these are often uncomfortable conversations. A lot of our centers probably uh, rarely run into the situation, but it happened mm-hmm. in one of our centers recently. So LBGTQ plus uh, refers to lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, and queer or questioning. What you really you need to do is make sure that your staff is educated on how to handle it before the situation uh, mm-hmm. occurs. Mm-hmm. And I think that that was, I think, the challenge that we had with this one client mm-hmm. is that they actually hadn't gone through the training. We do offer the training uh, to all of our clients, but not everybody decides to take uh, take us mm-hmm. up on that. Um, and by the way, that same training is available on the, uh, you know, for patron members of the podcast here, so right at the ASCPodcast.com website. Again, uh, as we mentioned, uh, we do really recommend annual training on this. Uh, In some states, this is actually required. And recognize that state laws are going to vary. So make sure that you're aware of uh, your state law uh, as we talk about this a little bit more. The the important thing here is to do everything possible to improve the patient experience. Make sure that the patient is as comfortable as possible. You don't want them to be upset or and we also need to make sure that the, your staff remains non-judgmental, but assure the safety mm-hmm. of the patient. So the biggest issues that we run into periodically is the use of pronouns and nouns when addressing the patient. Uh, it's best to ask the patient how they wish to be addressed mm-hmm. and, and document that in the medical record. And we know that medical records, unfortunately, um, especially EMRs, aren't necessarily designed uh, to be able to gather this information well. Even paper records have a hard time, but at least on a paper record, you can write the, something no, off to no. the side of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I would I would encourage you to talk to your vendors to make sure that uh, that you have that option. It comes under that section even when you choose male or female sex. Mm-hmm. Now, some of the new AMRs are coming out with other options, but at the very least, have a blank box there for uh, mm-hmm. you know being very specific. Yep. And it's really best to just ask the patient how right. they would like to be addressed. And then document that. As I mentioned earlier, I do suggest that you talk to your vendor, your software vendor, about adding the ability to write in the sex designation since these designations are rapidly evolving. For example, you might want to uh, make use of the notes to indicate the status. For example, a biological male identifies himself as a female and wishes to staff to use the pronouns she and her. So that type of documentation in your medical record makes it very clear for everybody as to uh, uh, both what the actual biological sex is for mm-hmm. medical reasons and the way they wish to be addressed. And then we also had recently a very interesting case with uh, pathology. And I don't want to go into too much specifics about this particular situation, but um, what, what basically happened is the specimen was handled incorrectly in two ways. First of all, the facility mislabeled the documentation. It had the wrong patient's name. But then when the staff member went in and looked at the case, they, they realized that the, uh, the proper pathology tests were not performed. And when they questioned the pathology, uh, he says, "Well, you would have had you, you should have asked for uh, 
you know, additional tests to be done. And and our our nurse administrator, uh, you know, called him back and said, but that's included in uh, the uh, standard, you know, pathology tests that we requested. And the pathologist argued with her and said, well, mistakes happen. And the whole lackadaisical attitude that he had really turned her off. And, and this wasn't the first situation. So here's my point on this is that as a result of this, they switched pathology vendors. And she wrote this up as an incident report, which I bet many of you out there might not have done, but this is the proper way of handling it. And the reason being is you and I talk about this a lot. You as a nurse, uh, just like around the house here, you just fix things and and uh, don't make a big deal about it. And, and, and nurses in general do the same things at work. But this is a quality improvement issue. And uh, it was great that she documented in the quality improvement uh, meeting and that we demonstrated that we fixed this quality issue, albeit a very important uh, quality control issue, mm -hmm. uh, one that she could have just handled by herself without making a big deal out of it. But we as surveyors like to see the documentation of this because it demonstrates that you are doing you know, a lot of work, a lot of, uh, of uh, oversight of the various responsibilities in the organization. Uh, it demonstrates that you are managing uh, corporate compliance, that you're managing uh, compliance with uh, you know, the regulations here. And remember, on an annual basis, you have to document uh, at the governing body level that all of your contracts have been re reviewed for uh, compliance with federal, state, and local uh, regulations. So when at the end of the year, when they do that contract review, they are going to refer uh, to this pathology issue and the fact that they terminated their arrangement with the pathologist and, and, and hired a new pathologist uh, as a result of this. Mm -hmm. So, as I said, many places probably wouldn't have documented through the quality improvement program and certainly wouldn't have documented for the governing body, but we did that in this particular case. And that's because we had a very astute uh, nurse manager who, uh, you know, really uh, understood completely uh, what quality improvement is and the importance of documenting all of these processes. I just kind of want to reemphasize something that we talk about frequently in, in this podcast is that as surveyors, I want to see that quality improvement permeates every aspect of your operation, that you're constantly looking at opportunities to improve uh, quality in your organization, be it, you know, the formal processes that we have out there for instant reporting or the, kind of those unusual things like this pathology that, that showed up. And by the way, when we talked about the LGBTQ+, situation earlier, that also showed up as a quality improvement uh, activity uh, so that we could demonstrate that we identified an issue, we uh, did whatever retraining we needed to do, and we resolved this right through uh, quality improvement and right up to the board. Now, in this case, the, the board didn't have to be involved because there was no change uh, in the policies of the organization. But with the pathology, of course, they did have a new contract with a new pathologist, and that is a, something that required governing body approval. So let's take a break, and we'll... Uh, Come back and uh, we'll uh, have a very quick list of upcoming events in the ASC industry. You're never alone in the ASC industry. Many organizations are eager to provide an opportunity to help you keep up on all aspects of running an ASC. And in this section, we highlight upcoming events. 
If you would like your event to be included in the podcast, please send the event information to info at ASCPodcast.com. And Sue, I'm having a hard time uh, even researching this since so many yeah. organizations have gone to uh, virtual conferences. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, these are not easy to find. Uh, and, and, of course, a lot of them are, uh, like uh, California, for example, is doing a lot of webinars right now. I think uh, Florida is doing the same thing. So it is difficult for us to get all this information. So mm-hmm. uh, I'm actually going to provide a link on our website to the ASC Association uh, section of their website where they have a list of all the state associations. So okay. uh, for each of you that, uh, that have a, an association in your state, you might want to visit their website periodically mm-hmm. to see what they're up to. So the Accreditation Association for Ambulatory Healthcare, Triple HC, transitions its Achieving Accreditation Conference to a virtual environment. And this immersive educational seminar will take place. The first one takes place September 14th through the 17th. And it's designed to help organizations develop and strengthen tools and resources to build a quality improvement culture that is integrated into their day-to-day operations. So for more information, visit triplehc.org. And Becker's Orthopedic and ASC Virtual Forum. August 26th and 27th, go to beckersasc.com, and they have several other virtual forums and conferences. Yeah, there's actually a lot going on. They, like us, uh, have uh, really stepped up during this time. Of course, Mm -hmm. Beckers is much more than just ASCs. There's also hospitals and other organizations there, but they really have stepped up with their virtual conferences also. And the New York ASC Association will hold four virtual sessions. They're going to be managed out of our uh, our studios here in uh, Rochester. Um, and they're going to be Monday, September 14th, Wednesday, September 16th, Monday, September 21st, and Wednesday, September 23rd in the afternoons. I think it's between 2 and 4. And for more information, visit nysaasc.org. The California Ambulatory Surgery Association, casurgery.org has gone big time into the virtual conferences. Visit their website at casurgery.org for a full list of upcoming virtual conferences. And John will be doing an exciting ASC financial boot camp on Friday, October 9th. And that didn't actually sound sarcastic then when you no, said exciting. It <laughs> <laughs> well, that's it for this episode of the ASC Podcast with John Gailey. Join us again, and please consider becoming a patron by going to our website at ASCPodcast.com and spread the word about our podcast with your friends and colleagues and do us the honor of hitting the subscribe button. The sound editor for this episode is Susan Cronkite. Executive producer is John Gailey. Research assistance is provided by the wonderful staff at Ambitory Healthcare Strategies. Susan Cronkite, Jenna Alvarez, Judy D'Ambrosio, Alex Borneman, Zach Kalritis, and Lori Rodericks. Music is provided by Media Sushi and Mike Noah, and the ASC Podcast with John Gailey is hosted on Podbean and is available on all major podcast channels. This podcast is an educational and operational tool and is not intended to be a comprehensive resource for all the rules, regulations, and standards that an ambulatory surgery center must meet. The advice provided should not be considered as, nor does it constitute legal advice or opinion. When reviewing specific situations involving legal and regulatory issues, attorneys and other professionals should be consulted. This has been a production of Eden Group Development, All Rights Reserved. We would like to thank this week's sponsors. First, Ambulatory Healthcare Strategies, one of the nation's leading regulatory compliance and financial oversight firms. For a free consultation, contact John Gailey today at 585-594-1167 or through email at info at ah-strategies.com. 
and Eden Group Development, which publishes ASC regulatory compliance series, the ASC industry's leading books, including the Survey Guide for ASCs, a guide to the CMS conditions for coverage and interpretive guidelines for ambulatory surgery centers, and Ambulatory Surgery Center Governance, a guide for ambulatory surgery center owners and governing body members. These must-have books are available on Amazon and Barnes & Noble or directly from the publisher at reg-books.com. That's R-E-G-B-O-O-K-S.com. If you're interested in advertising or sponsoring the ASC Podcast with John Gailey, please email us at info at ASCPodcast.com. We would love to hear your questions and comments. Please email us at comments at ASCPodcast.com.